Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on November the 5th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the intelligent and insightful... The Caffeine Rage. You're being very nice. Uh, You're setting me up for a fall, aren't you? Maybe. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we have been playing here recently. We'll be discussing the recent BlizzCon BS... The ACCC rules Fallout 76 refunds can go forward in Australia. Mario Kart Tour multiplayer is coming first for those who have the $5 per month subscription. We'll have our weekly community corner and a Steam weekly discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. That's good. I'm surviving. Mostly. Yeah. Well, mostly, right? <laughs> yeah. You got the plague again. I do. I got the plague first this time. Usually my kid gets it and passes it to us, but I got it and then passed it to everyone else. But I still have it. I'm not fully recovered. I'm the, the least sick of the Arthur clan. Which is a a refreshing change of pace. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but uh we'll we'll see how well i'm doing by the end of the show i took drugs before we started i've got tea can always stop and get some more tea uh but you know, or to go pee yeah because of all the tea mm-hmm. that is in me but so. we'll see <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i find that so amusing but it is it is Oh my goodness! Uh, the drugs have already kicked in. The this drugs is going to be a wild one. Are way kicked in. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have any like funny witticisms or anything to talk about. I'm just like mush. I, I guess. I mean, I, I, I was going to say pretty much like every other week. Then, yeah. Um, technically I should probably save this for community corner, but just right off the top of the show, sorry about Monday night. I had posted in discord that my kid was sick and that things might go sideways. I didn't quite say it that way, but he came out of his room, um, at probably nine 30 or so. He was like, daddy, I don't feel good. I need some medicine. So I got him some medicine. He wanted to watch snuggle and watch an episode of his TV show, uh, Octonauts for, the other parents out there. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'll snuggle with you. We'll watch one episode. And then you have to go back to bed and I wake up and it's 1230. <laughs> so I was like, well, fuck it. And he's there trying to figure out how to uh, tell uh, Netflix that you're still here. No, he knows how to do that. He has a, a perfect command of, of all things involving an Xbox controller, a TV <laughs> remote, uh, touch screens and voice command. Keyboard and mouse is still baffling to him, though, despite my best efforts to show him. So he might be still a peasant. Got it. He might be a console peasant. But I mean, that would give us the three tiers. There's there's my wife, who is just the the filthiest of casuals. And then my son, the console peasant and me of the PC gaming master race. So (laughs) we're like stair steps. But so that was I apologize for Monday night. I will have told everybody that. Previously, 
if you're regularly on Discord. And if you're not, there you go. I figured I'd get that straight away off the top so I don't forget later. Or bail on the episode before then because my throat has died. (laughs) But uh, seeing as how last week, because things got weird too, um, and we skipped games we played, why don't we just dive straight into that? We'll have a couple of weeks worth of stuff. Yeah, Um, which for me is still two games, but that's mostly because I focused on one actually fairly hardcore to get a bit more of a feel for it. But before we get to that, how about something that only played for a few hours? All right. So Lonely Mountains Downhill. Both of these I played on the Xbox Game Pass. And it kind of falls into the whole... uh, uh, There was an article a while back talking about how people with Game Pass have been playing more diverse titles and trying out things. And I definitely see that with, you know, seeing, oh, that looks like an interesting downhill racing game. I'll go try that instead of paying the 20 bucks that they want on Steam. So this is a very momentum-based BMX downhill racer with some very minimalistic graphics. Uh, uh, Lonely Mountains Downhill, just to make sure I got the name out there. Uh, it, there's some things about it I really like, and there's some things I really dislike. And I think the dislikes for me kind of prevent me from wanting to play more of this. But let's get to what I liked first. There's a little bit of a change of pace. So it has a unlock system where you are going through and completing challenges on these various bike trails to unlock more trails and more mountains. You start off with just one mountain with one trail, and it's very memor- uh, memorization-based, where because the game is so focused on building up a lot of momentum through uh, just being able to handle turns uh, very effectively, handling, uh, figuring out where shortcuts are, especially because how the game handles its progression, where it's checkpoint-based, like the old arcade racers where you go through a checkpoint and that's your uh, where you go back to. Well, this, it's the same method where it's broken up, uh, the mountain's broken up usually into five segments per trail. And the trails, for the most part, are pretty unique. Uh, there's a, a, a section in the, at the bottom of the mountain where everything kind of comes together. And you could see the other trails coming onto that section, which is actually kind of neat where it you know, kind of all comes together. But like I said, where everything is more momentum-based, it's kind of making it to pl- uh, the first one's always an introduction to that trail. And, you know, you're expected, you know, just finish, you know, get, get a feel for this. Then there's usually a time trial with uh, some sort of, you know, wreck so few times. Like the second trail, I think it was, Get to the bottom of the mountain without wrecking 22 times. You may think, that sounds like a lot of wrecks. Well, that's true, but it's also kind of a difficult racer at times because if you're trying to hit certain time trials as well, it's making you uh, really think about some of the uh, uh, holding your momentum of uh, different tricks or different shortcuts you could use. And and actually, it's pretty effective in that. And that, along with bikes that you could eventually unlock, which I honestly never got to, it has a fair bit of uh, of a scale of a skill ceiling to it, where 
it has a lot that you can learn on it. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting little racer. Now, some of the things I dislike about it is one, the camera. It has this isometric camera that's pretty much in a fixed position. And you have two control methods, either a absolute where, uh, well, the game strongly recommends a controller. And I definitely believe that because of how momentum based the game is. Where if you're pu pushing, let's say, at the 12 o'clock position on the uh, thumbstick, the racer will try to go that direction. Or if you uh, rotate around, he'll, uh, he'll follow the rotation of the thumbstick. Which I found to be the better method uh, for my personal uh, taste. But then there's a steering mode where it's just handling left and right, and it's from the perspective of the racer. Which I definitely could see some people uh, preferring as well. But for me, because there's so many times that the camera makes it feel a little bit more awkward, just that, that particular angle, that I found it a little bit more difficult of a control method to use. And the other thing that kind of takes me off, uh, like I said during the Discovery queue last week, uh, it has a very minimalistic style. Which is fine, and I've actually really enjoyed games that had this style before. But they also do a forced depth of field, uh, or depth of view. No, it's depth of view. Uh, depth of view uh, where uh, things that are close to you are, uh, are in focus, and then things that are far away are fuzzy. Which is a very realistic camera effect. Okay? Well... This game, they do some very abrupt depth of field changes or depth of view changes where things that are fuzzy will suddenly snap into view and you're, you know, careening downhill. And unless you memorize that section of the course, it could be very tough to figure out where to go or you know, to, you know, not crash and go back to the checkpoint. Which, like I said, you know, that 22 uh, wrecks on that second course kind of, uh, you know, a uh, little strict there whenever you're going through a section that has a odd uh, uh, depth change. And also there's times that the trigger for a change is right past where the where the camera goes out of focus. So it makes it so it's a lot tougher to be able to see the the trail in some areas. Now this is something that could be patched out uh, uh, you know fixed eventually, but this game you know, is still pretty new, so there is a chance of that happening. But it's just, um, you know, a, a racing game where you're having trouble seeing where you're going. Bold move, very bold move, uh, to say the least. But yeah, uh, any uh, questions? I don't think so. It seems like a, a overall a fairly cute, simple game. Yeah, it it, it is a pretty good game overall. Especially if you spend the time to memorize the section or the, that particular trail to hit all the different uh, 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 well, challenges or achievements or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it feels a little bit too child error based because of uh, you know, uh, some odd camera positioning at times. I would have really preferred like a floating camera where it was a fixed perspective, especially since they have the absolute... Uh, uh, steering controls where it's based on the camera 
so in a section where there's several times that the uh, the uh, the rider is obscured by rocks, I would like to the camera to you know, get a little bit higher, uh, for example, or for trees to do uh, to go a little transparent so you could actually see the rider because there's a few sections where it's a little tough to see because you're going through a little bit of a forest. It's uh, little niggles like that that kind of make me not want to play it anymore. And yeah, you know, because I'm played it on Game Pass, you know, I don't really have the investment in this. Right. I mean, overall, it's still a pretty damn good game. It's just, you know, uh, it, I think it's also uh, really helped out by the fact that there's not a lot in this uh, genre, in this downhill racing. I know that there's another one on Game Pass, but it's more of a third person, you know, behind the rider view but you can see some of the on the actually on the trailer there's a couple of times where you could see the the depth of field that changes being pretty abrupt actually so yeah there's just a couple yeah like i said just a few nickels there but then there's other times that it just feels really good where you know you're going downhill you know hauling ass and just it feels really excellent. But looking at the trailer, there's also times that you're racing at night as well, which is just horrifying. Because <laughs> you're just, your only uh, light is uh, a headlight on the bike. And I can only imagine how uh, nerve wracking that's going to be if I got <clears> there. So, yeah, I would say a pretty solid little racer. It's not amazing, but it's not, not a bad uh, first outing for a developer. It looks like it's their first game, at least on Steam. Cool. Yeah, pretty cool. So, do you want to do one? or I can. I can. Uh, yeah. I can okay. do human-powered spacecraft really quick, which first game on my list is human-powered spacecraft. I picked this up to kind of round out my dollar amount on the recent autumn sale for like 49 cents or 50 cents um and this is a very short like hour and a half maybe uh clicker game where that um the gist of the story is that you're in a, a colony ship and your something breaks your ship goes off course and the only way to get it going again is that you have to um ride what's basically a a fancy stationary bike to produce power to to get your ship going again and charge your warp drive back up uh and shenanigans happen um it's not terrible um you know for for 50 cents i think that that's you know for the value that i got out of it or the enjoyment that i got out of from playing it for like i said an hour or so and some good jokes in there that i can't really talk about uh, because that will spoil them, obviously. And a few references to things, which I can't talk about because that will spoil them because the game's so short. Um, you know, it, I, it was worth it. I felt like it was worth 50 cents. And I'm like, well, you know, I could get like a, a cheap, shitty bag of chips at the gas station or I could buy a video game that I could enjoy for a little while. And I knew it was really short going in. All the reviews talk about how short it is. Um, and to be careful what you're, you know, that it is a clicker game, to be careful what you're getting into. It's got a couple of little unique uh, puzzle mechanics um, that you have to figure out. I will say that, well, will I say? I, I guess if you don't want to hear this, like, 
go ahead like 10 seconds. Yeah, but, uh, plug your ears now. Yeah, plug your ears, earmuffs. Um, but one of the, you know, the conceit of a puzzle game is to build up your meter as much as you can, or not a puzzle game, a clicker game. But one of the puzzles is you have to figure out how to drain it back down to zero and keep it there for a minute. Um, so I thought that was neat. Uh, and then there's some other stuff going on as well. Like I said, shenanigans happen. Um, and it's very, it's, it's got a few parts of it that I think are very humorous. Um, so, I mean, literally that's all I can say. The game is so short. Um, you know, if you like nifty little sort of one-off games, uh, fun little experiences that you can enjoy fully in one sitting, or if you like the idea of clicker games that do slightly different things than just be sort of babysat to make your number go as big as they can. I mean, this is definitely one to recommend. It's not as good as what was the clicker that was all about potatoes? Space plan. Space plan. It's not as good as that. Uh, it's nowhere near in the same, same league as that, but it does do something that's a little more unique in, in that vein. So, um, you know, take that as what you will for, for like 50 cents. If you're interested in this sort of thing, totally worth it. If you're not, eh, don't even spend the 50 cents on it. So, yep. Human powered spacecraft. There you go. So should we dive into a mini game club? Because yeah. we both played this. Uh, yeah. Uh, should you put it on your list as well? I can. Are you so, going to paste it? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. So the Outer Worlds, the kind of the new darling of the internet, that isn't uh, you know about a dickish goose. <laughs> yep. So as basically, Obsidian said, "Okay, fine, we can make our uh, uh, our own Fallout with blackjacks and hookers." I actually forget those. Let's just have No Man's Sky throw up over everything, so we have everything you know not be dismally dull and brown and throw in some firefly i think that's a fair assessment right yep those are pretty much uh, i was thinking borderlands and and firefly um because borderlands had a lot of very silly wacky color schemes to it too um oh yeah yeah, but yeah but this isn't purely meme-based humor so you know uh, no can't have uh, borderlands throwing up everything but you've got some some Fallout style retro futurist uh, technology and architecture. You've got Firefly elements with uh, the different crew members and the ship, um, and kind of the the vibe of the game in general. I think it feels very Firefly to me. And then you know you've got uh, what I felt was Borderlands, but you described as like you just said, No Man's Sky thrown in there to mix up the visuals so it's not all drab and brown and and gray yeah and i think it also helps that uh it's set around essentially a bunch of mini maps instead of a, of a giant open world so it kind of lends itself more to the no man's sky model of a bunch of diverse palettes instead of you know one giant uh you know dull brown mass which also makes it so that everything is a little bit more self-contained, so you don't have, yeah. Well, here, give me this bear ass that's on the other side of the map, right? Yeah, that was uh, 
uh, at least the trappings of the last few Fallout games I played. And I'm assuming, uh, as a, I think, an educated guess, that Fallout 4 did the same thing. Yeah, that was a lot of Fallout 4. There was still, I mean, there was some stuff in there that you could explore. There were definitely a few uh, more inventive quests. But, um, yeah, a lot of it was go here, collect X, return with it. Yeah, and Outer Worlds has actually really diversified things. So how far did you get? Um, I'm in, in roughly the same area you are. Um, yeah, I've pretty much uh, completed the second uh, area that it directs you to. You could go to a few other places before that, but I decided to just kind of follow along the main storyline for a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, I did so, pick up a science weapon. Yep. Did you get the shrink ray from the, yeah. the doc's office? Yeah. I got that. Yeah. So, I mean, I completed the first area. I went and saw him. And then I went to the Groundbreaker. So we pretty much followed the same path. Yeah. So uh, I also have four companions now out of my uh, for my crew. I am only missing, I think, two. Yeah, because I, the... I have I have uh, Ellie, uh, Felix, uh, Felix, Parvati, Parvati. Uh, that's who I was trying to think of the name. And the vicar, whose name yeah. is what? Max? Max. I just call him, I call him the vicar. Mm-hmm. Which makes up a huge portion of your Fallout cast. Because I get the feeling that that Felix is like, um, ah, shit. He, he's the preacher. Shit. Well, no, the preacher uh, is been, Max. Because, I mean, yeah. it's literally, because he's a vicar. So he's a, a preacher. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a long time since I've actually seen Firefly. I is it Jan or Jen that's like the big Jane? Jane, yeah, Jane. Felix makes me think of Jane. Um, Parvati is mechanic girl. Mm-hmm. And then Ellie, I'm not sure who she could be. I mean, I, I mean, she is literally the doctor, but yeah. she's not like him on Firefly. She's a lot more kind of nasty. See, I just got her right at the end of my last play session. I haven't had a chance to take her out yet. But, uh, yeah, it does have that Firefly feel to it. In, in a good way, actually. Mm-hmm. It makes me angry at Fox all over again, to be perfectly honest. Yep. But, um... I will say that it's a lot more action-oriented than Fallout ever was, but it's also... It's built around actually being action-oriented. There's no, you know, little microscopic animals that you have to use vats to be able to hit right yeah well i mean it falls more in line with fallout 4 i know you didn't play fallout 4 but it's much closer to fallout 4 in that respect because fallout 4 is a lot more action oriented yeah which maybe is part of the reason why i think this is good but not great but also they throw a lot of fun toys but because it's so action oriented to have to go back to my inventory to change out my four slots it feels like it's kind of missing the mark there. Yeah, the inventory system is is kind of cumbersome, but it's very clearly designed for a controller. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of... There, the first time I tried to buy something, I thought the game was broken because I was click, 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 click. Oh, it's, oh, it's this for everything. It's E, it's uh, press and hold this, press and hold that. 
Uh, I didn't even realize that I could change uh, the inventory of Pravati for, or not Pravati, but uh, Max as well. Until I noticed, oh, wait a minute, there's an arrow up there. Well, even though it doesn't tell you, like whenever you're trying to do stuff and you like press E and then it's like press enter or you have to click on something, you can just press E again mm-hmm. and it will do the thing that you're trying to get it to do. Yeah. And then the press and holds are only for if you're going to repair all items at once in your inventory and uh, lock picking. Uh, Which, and thank the- fucking Christ, there's not a stupid ass mechanic for that. Like, Pressing and holding gets a little annoying, but at least I don't have to enter a menu and be like, okay, let me wheel the pick around and like turn the thing right and try not to break it. Like, fuck that. That was a mod I always turned on or, or got immediately was to get rid see, of I that shit. See, I didn't mind that as much, but it was also, I think I enjoyed some of the mini games in the Fallout games a little bit more. Like, I would actually sit down and uh, hack all the uh, all the computers. Yeah, hacking the computers wasn't too bad. I just hated doing the thing with the bobby pins and then in, you know, in Skyrim with it being the lockpicks. Lockpicking in Oblivion wasn't as bad because that system was 100% timing. Yeah. So even if your lockpicking skill was really shitty, you could still get around it with your own personal skill and feel good about it. Yeah, for Fallout, well, at least uh, New Vegas and Fallout 3, it was pretty much the better your skill, the more... Uh, room for error that you had. It was uh, I'm trying to think of just how much of the circle it was, but basically you needed to position the bobby pin in the right place and then apply uh, uh, force. Yeah. And the more uh, skill you had over that uh, level of lock, the more leadway you had. But I, I think it's a combination of not really having any side games. I mean, not even just a, a mini game, unless there's something much later. You know, like got Caravan uh, in Fallout, uh, uh, or Fallout New Vegas, and all the casinos. Maybe it's just I'm expecting a little bit more out of a Fallout style game. That, and also the fact that the inventory management feels very cumbersome. That it keeps it from uh, me from enjoying it completely because. Okay, I have a flamethrower, I have a grenade launcher, I have uh, like two or three different guns. It's telling me, okay, well, for this type of enemy, you want to use uh, electric guns. But shit, all my electric guns are back in my inventory. I got to go back to that. And it's kind of just taking me out of the action in a way that I would, really wouldn't need it if you, know, you gave me a couple more slots. I mean, the weapon wheel even has room for that, right? Yeah. So it just feels like a very cumbersome system, especially since they streamlined a lot of the game. They actually made it where you could control your companions pretty well, actually. And they're actually uh, fairly intelligent, which was a little surprising, seeing them uh, climb on ladders and jump around. Yeah, the companions... So, I mean, the companions have got a decent amount of fine control to their AI settings, which reminded me a lot of things like... um, Dragon Age and uh, maybe KOTOR. I don't know. KOTOR didn't really have any major, but you can do things like tell them to prefer one weapon type or over another or force them to only use one weapon because you can equip each uh, companion with armor and then a melee weapon and a ranged weapon. And they have things that they're better with versus others, which you can like check out in their stats and the damage that they do with weapons and things. But anyways, you can tell them to stay close or far 
keep medium distance, be adaptive, like all that sort of stuff. Uh, they're they they're very intelligent. They control well. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty positive. Actually, I'm 100 percent sure this game is utilizing the I'm a game mechanic. So fuck you. Like if someone needs to go somewhere, they can just be there. Yeah, there so, was a few times that I've had uh, my companions teleport because they got stuck, which which is perfectly fine. Yes, thank God for that. Um, and also, you can walk right through your companions. Which, thank yep. God for that. They can't block you in oh, places. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Th- thank uh, Jim Sterling for that. Yes. <laughs> um, but you can utilize their abilities like mini teleports for them. Um, it they, Everyone has one special ability, and it's some kind of combat ability. Yeah, um, and, uh, Felix uh, just drops kicks someone. Uh, Pravati breaks out the hammer and uh, hammers someone like a nail. Yeah, I, I will say that I don't need them to play the cutscene every single damn time. I like the cutscene every single time. The, I, 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 would, I don't know if there's a way to turn off in the options though. I didn't I, check I didn't because see, I enjoyed it. I didn't see it. one. I, I looked for it. Um, it made it, it made me not use it as often because. It got old because once again it took me out of the action. Game is a lot more action based than Fallout ever was. I, I think that it keeps you keeps me in the action more because it's like sweet little action cut one liner thing. Because the the Vickers is he he's got a sawed off shotgun and he delivers a, a snappy one liner and then blows someone away. Uh, I like that. And then Ellie is like a a gunslinger thing. Like she pulls out her pistol and like, pew, 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 and she's like smoking while she does it. Yeah. It's just, uh, like I said, it gets old. At least to me, it gets old. Uh, you, well, you're drug adult, so that doesn't count. I, I like it. I said um, drug adult. The, the dialogue I think is very well written. Um, yeah, the, there's yeah, good it's humor, nice. but it's not too yeah. far, you know, it's not yeah. too meme or anything like that. Yeah, it's not it's not meme really at all. Uh it's a very smartly based or smartly written comedy. I would actually say this is more comedy than anything. But at the same time, it feels like everybody's wacky and um I've been looking for the straight man and maybe my character is supposed to be that in this kind of wacky world. Yeah, even the like you would think that the vicar would be the straight man, but even he has plenty yeah, of comic yeah, relief and sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, when you bring him the uh, book, what the fuck is this French? I can't read French. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. I could not believe that, but I was so happy to hear it. Yeah, it was amazing, but at the same time, you know, every when everybody's wacky, it kind of loses a little bit of the punch. I mean, even uh. I would say the the closest thing I've had to a straight man was uh, some of the guards in Groundbreaker. But, you know, they need... It feels like they need someone to play off of, and I guess that's supposed to be the player character. Like, you know, maybe, you know, there's been a little bit too much inbreeding in the last couple of decades. <laughs> Possibly. Um... There's a bunch of different ways you can play your character and all of them feel fine at any point in time. I mean, the game doesn't utilize a morality system. Um, certainly- oh, there is, well, there is a bit of uh, a faction system where there's both a positive and negative and you can be both feared and revered at the same time. Which is- Yeah, but that's not a morality system. That's just more like, do these guys like you or not? 
which all not, comes down not to entirely actually not entirely at least in this game i don't in what way like, wait, uh, what it feels like it's uh uh it, having certain factions like you is coming a lot more down to a moral choice than other fallout games or i should say than the fallout series which this game is obviously modeled on uh especially going more of a corporate man it feels like having them like you and or is a lot more of an evil choice than really any fallout choice i ever had with a faction um, possibly. I haven't felt that way about it because I've been able to get basically every faction to like me. Um, by uh, see, doing... I have uh, see, I have only really certain factions liking me because I'm kind of more action oriented. I shoot first, shoot second. Then, if anyone's surviving, you know, I'll ask a few questions. Yeah, and Mike. So the way that I've built my character is all my points are basically in all of the conversation skills and then these the smarty pants skill skills so my character is a scientist and an engineer and is really good at talking and all of my combat skills and my like defensive skills are are at the bottom like is basically where they started the game at because the action for for the most part the skills don't do anything to affect the actual stats of the weapons um I, there are well, some things that they true, affect but, but it's not yeah. pure damage numbers so no, you can actually, use your it, own skill actually the damage numbers are scaled a bit by the uh skills yeah I'm, i mean i'm not saying that there's no effect but it's a much smaller effect than i was expecting so for me the value in having all of those conversational abilities and everything to open up basically every dialogue option possible and give me alternate ways to solve problems I mean, there's still plenty of violence. I still kill plenty of people, but uh, I talk my way through most things rather than fighting my way through them. So the, I, mean, the, I, let, I let my flamethrower do the talking. The science weapons, it seems, get the biggest effect from your stats because they're governed by your science skill and get like huge boosts from that. So my With what again comes back to, I have four damn slots. Yeah, so, uh, yo, how am I going to uh, yo, fit that in? At least the, uh, actually, the really cool one uh, that's kind of an automatic thing was the holographic projector. Yeah, that was cool. You know, which is their st- uh, their stealth system. Basically, it's uh, trying to fix the stealth problem that first-person games have, where if you find a key card for that area, whenever you enter a restricted area, you have an automatic disguise as long as you don't interact or stay close to someone for too long, you can kind of have free reign so you could go look around and you really get shown off this in the groundbreaker where uh, you are actually acquiring Ellie, you know, getting her, uh, you know, doing her quest to be able to repay a debt. Yeah. And you could also use it in the, um, the security guard station or whatever yeah, to, to Robert Blonde. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there again, my uh, conversational skills are so high. I didn't actually need it in either of those zones. Cause I just sweet talked my way into them with, with the guard. You can complete a couple of quests and he'll let you mm-hmm. back. I, I think, but also if your persuasion skill is high enough, you can just be like, Hey, uh, how about a quick tour? And he'll let you back there. And so you can have free roam of that area. And then with the the medical 
guy. I believe it's if your science skill is high enough, you can talk to him about medicine stuff. And then if your persuasion or intimidate skill is high enough, you can convince him or bully him to let you back there freely. And so that's how I handled both of those situations. Like I have the disguise kit and there actually have been a couple of restricted zones I've run into where I, where I have used it. Um, but in those specific situations, I could just avoid the entire like thing of the quest by being so uh, good at the talkie bits. Which I like. I love stuff like that. I used to not care for it, but particularly after we played Divinity and there were a bunch of different ways that you could solve any quest. <laughs> I like uh, finding new ways to deal with things now. Yeah, and here I just threw Medora at everything. Yeah. I mean, hell, Medora killed the Ender Dragon, right? She did. She killed the final boss. <laughs> Mostly single-handedly. We just like kept the other dudes busy and she killed the main boss. I mean, she, I mean, she's made us skip an entire phase of that fight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so I don't, I mean, we're, we said we're doing kind of a mini game club right now and we've talked about yeah, doing a game yeah, club we'll for get, this. Yeah, we'll get much more in depth. I think probably March is our next long game club. Yeah, probably. Um, but I mean, my uh, first impressions of this, because I've played it for a half a dozen hours, maybe 10 in total. Um, I, I really like it. Like it's it's very I don't think it's as good as as you hear people talking about it at this point, not because the game I, is bad, but because it's basically just a good ass game. And we get so few of those nowadays for a lot of people. That's enough to elevate it to some kind of like. And I think it's also status. the fact that. Fallout brand has fallen so far. Not just 76, but I'm talking Fallout 4. It's fallen so far that having something that's actually has a good story and good combat and also has a lot of explorative elements because I would say I spent a good hour or two just on the groundbreaker going through some of the back areas and finding shit. There yeah. Uh, 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 going into the like the waste management area of with enough lock picks, you could go through and start finding all sorts of fun goodies in there. As a matter of fact, there's one area that you eventually circle around and you end up on pipes on top of the promenade, and there's a hidden chest up there. So the game actually really rewards exploration without having this big, expansive, you know, massive map. It's all this little self-contained map. And I yeah. really enjoyed that. That yeah. Which I like better. There's a lot more detail in each of the maps that I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Compared to one gigantic map. It feels like there's more there, even though the maps are much well, the, smaller well, the comparatively maps, speaking. The, the map tiles are reused somewhat because I do know that you eventually return to a couple of the planets, but go to different colonies. Mm-hmm. So the worlds are recycled somewhat, but you're going to different areas, so it's different maps with the same skin, essentially, which is fine. You know, that's not bad. It's not like Dragon Age 2, where you're going through the same exact map over and over again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think I think it's good. But I don't think, I mean, well, no, I think it's great, but I don't think it's as amazing as a, I'm hearing a lot of people say it 
they think it is. And you know what? I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're wrong. Like everybody's allowed their own interpretation of stuff like this, but I don't Even think it's as wrong. good. I don't think it's as good as people are saying it is, but that's not from like an eh, nah, 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 perspective. It's just like, I, I think I'm looking at this in a different way as someone who's so much engaged in the gaming industry, you know, so critically it's like, I, you know, I'm looking at this with different eyes than they would. But you, because uh, we were talking before, and your opinion was you you liked it, but it wasn't like nowhere near as good as people were making it out to be. And you kept saying that there's something you couldn't quite put your finger on. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a lack of crafting because they focus so much on mods and on that sort of thing. And I would love to be able to, you know, grab stuff and put it together, you know, do a little bit of tinkering beyond mm-hmm. just have tinkering be essentially boost up the stats on a particular weapon or have it where uh, if you tinker enough with something, it unlocks something because that's the thing is that if you take enough damage from a particular uh, enemy type, you may gain a negative perk against them, but you get perk points to boost your character further. Yeah. They're called character flaws. So you get perks, which are, you know, just like like after you asked about them, I actually got, uh, got the option for two of them. One was robotic enemies because I've taken enough damage from them. And the other one was falling from great heights <laughs> because there was a couple of times I just jumped uh, down instead of, you know, going around. I, I like them though. as a nice bit of risk reward because typically mm-hmm. you get perk points every two levels, but whenever you get one of these flaws, if you choose to take it, you know, it gives you whatever the negative effect is, but you get immediately get a perk point. So it's a little bit of risk reward depending on your play style. It, you know, something might be uh, more dangerous than not, you know, but um, I thought that was neat. And there have been a couple that I have taken that I felt like it was worth it to get the, that immediate extra perk. Yeah, I haven't had any that felt good enough to pl- uh, to take yet. Um, I got one that was, I take, I think it's 25% more of what's the damn, poison or toxic damage. Um, get Get 25% more of that. Um, and then I get a perk point. I think it's actually acid. I think it's acid damage. Take 25% more acid damage. Um, I forget what it was called. Something like thin skin or weak skin or something like that. But I took it. So. And then there was another one that I, that well, I took. Maybe you shouldn't be so thin skinned. There was another one that I took too. Um, I, I've had a couple given to me. Or, or several given to me that I didn't take. I didn't take the one about robots because there's a lot of robot robotic enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to have to deal with that one. And then I had a run where I had to like got into some really nasty combat encounters. So I had to use my, I forget what it's called, the healing item inhaler. a lot. Yeah, the inhaler. Which, uh, <laughs> Basically which like is kind of neat. It's, well, it's a stim pack with a lot of customization options. The further you go and down the medical tree, which I said that we didn't talk about how the skill-ups work, but we'll get to that. Uh, you have the option to customize it, so pretty much you always want to have, you know, increase, you know, health, how many percentage over so much time. But then you can have it where it increases your regeneration. It can make it so that you're more resilient to, uh, to damage. You buff up your uh, overall health. You can increase your run speed. And I like the option to be able to change your main healing item but we didn't talk about the stats 
for the startups because it's kind of an unusual system where up until level 50, everything is grouped up to its uh, essentially its uh, family. So all the range skill, the long gun, the heavy gun, and the energy guns. And the what? I'm trying to remember the third one. Is it energy or is it? No, it's uh, it's long. It's long, heavy, and light weapons. Okay, all three of them are tied to a single level up. So you're leveling them all up at once, up until one hits level fifty. Then that one stops getting the boost from that particular uh, family until you put points into that one specifically. Which I kind of like that system where in Fallout it always felt like. If you did not run a high intelligence character right from the start, uh, you were going to be very, very niche because you didn't have enough skill points to be able to boost up a lot unless you uh, were running a mod that gave you a lot of books that you could go find. So it, it feels like it makes it an option to be a more generalized character or at least boof, uh, buff up to a certain point. So you don't feel like, oh, well, uh, that's a uh, pistol. I've been running a uh, heavy gun, so yo, that's going to be completely useless to me. No, it will still be pretty decent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I-, I found that to be an interesting compromise to the whole streamlined mechanics, but still have some depth to it. Yeah, I like that because it allows you to get relatively quickly sort of your all of your core skills up to a decent level, and then you can focus more towards the end game on where you really want your character to shine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like it, but um, yeah, I think at this point, having not played more of the story, not having more to talk about, probably good to leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end things and come back later in a few months. Uh, hopefully after it's been patched a few times, because I have noticed a little bit of performance hitching, but not a lot. Oh, yeah. I've had some performance issues. Oh, well, Nothing what about like the game? unplayable. hi Nothing unplayable, but definitely issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, No, like, game-crashing bugs or anything, though, so far. No, no game crashes. I, I've had an audio hitching problem where occasionally the audio will drop out, but after I... I uh, upgraded my graphics drivers. It didn't happen as much, so I think it's tied to my frame rate. Gotcha. Yeah, I haven't I haven't experienced that one, but um, okay. So I have two more games. One of them will go pretty quickly. I'm not sure about mm-hmm. the other one. So Spaceland. Spaceland is a turn-based um, tactical shooter uh, that I initially thought was going to be something sort of um, almost like a cartoony, a more cartoony version of XCOM. Um, yeah, but I it's, mean, it looks it. But it is not. St- and I need to stand up and uh, take a ride on the elevator while you talk. Okay. But it is not. So what this game is, is it honestly a lot of times feels a lot more like a puzzle game. There's a, a set number of levels that you have to go through in a linear order um, on sort of an overworld map. You can repeat these levels if you need extra resources. But you start out with one character, you build up to a team of five, and each level 
has definitely got characters that are, are better suited to it. And aside from sort of boss levels, you are limited in the the team size that you can bring. So sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four. And then for boss levels or um, sort of specifically very difficult levels, it's five. Um, and at the end of each level, you're graded based on a number of things, how many enemies you killed, how many of your people survived and how many uh, turns it took you to complete. So it feels a lot more like it's sort of a tactical battle puzzle game. Um, it's not bad. Uh, I've actually enjoyed it, but it's not what I thought it was. It's very simple. You do have, you know, the the turn-based system, um, and each of your, your guys have a different number of action points, essentially, that they can move, shoot, use special abilities or items. There's a limited amount of gear changing and upgrading. You get essentially points, uh, like a, a money, and then like a... Uh, type of ability point where that you can upgrade special abilities and then upgrade weapons and armor over time. But there's no major customization. You can't change the team out. There doesn't seem to be any kind of any of that XCOMiness aside from the turn-based tactical stuff. So, well, no missing 99% uh, shots. Uh, no, I haven't experienced that. Oh well, damn. They, I'm they, back they, by the way. Yeah, they seem to hit most of the time on 80 plus percent. Although honestly, usually it's it's 100%. Um you have to be really far away with the wrong weapon to get a low percentage to hit. So, that's uh, not like very excommy. And and the way that it handles like the character that has the shotgun, the way it handles that is that the farther away you are, it doesn't reduce the chance you have to hit, but it reduces the damage you deal. So, uh, essentially fewer pellets. Yeah. Which actually, you know, I think I prefer that method for uh, shotguns because, yeah, shotguns in video games kind of suck, actually, don't they? Yeah, they do. It's like there's a 10-foot instant death range, and then anything beyond that, they don't do anything. And that's not how shotguns work in real life. Um, But, you know, I mean, that's that's really the gist of it. It's it's much more of a, feels more much more like a, a tactical battle puzzler. Because so much of the levels come down to, did you pick the right team with the right abilities? Did you deploy them at the right time so that you could get through it as quickly as possible? So it feels much more puzzly than strategy E. And I'm, I don't know how far I am in the game, but I'm in, uh, what level am I on? 20 something. And like, as far as the story has gone, like I've got the full team built and we're headed towards like where these like weird alien creatures are supposed to be coming from. So I suspect I'm pretty close to the end of the game, or uh, close to a twist. Could be or a twist. So I, it's a good game, but it just it wasn't what I expected. I mean, I did not buy this game. I got it through Keymailer. <laughs> so in terms of like, you know, do I feel like I wasted any money or not on it? I didn't pay anything for it. It's fifteen bucks on Steam. Um. You know, it's if you like this sort of thing, I think it's worth 15 bucks. If you don't, or maybe you're just sort of mildly interested, probably five bucks on a sale. I mean, the, the one benefit this game has is it'll run on a potato because it will run on my laptop. Um, and so that those types of games always have a certain type of appeal to a certain type of player, you know, if you don't have the best hardware. So you don't have to worry about that. 
But if you're expecting XCOM, you're not going to get it. So there is that. And then the last game that I played is called Encased. This is a game that is in early access. And what this is also another game I got through Keymailer. If you buy into it, what you're getting is the prologue, which it took me about 10 hours or so to get through. Um, I There's some replayability there for sure. Um, and I think there's more that I didn't do upon you know reflection. But there were some things that I didn't quite understand. I'll talk about that in a minute. But... Um, what you're what you're buying into is the prologue, and then after the prologue, you get the open world. But there's none of the story content past the prologue put into the open world gameplay. So you can just kind of wander around, level up your character, and collect gear up to a certain point, and then it kind of stops. When I talked to you about this rage the first time, I compared it to uh, Divinity, and you said it reminded you a lot of Wasteland, which I have never played. But um, it is a isometric top down. Uh, RPG, uh, what would this be? CRPG or ARPG? Uh, I think it'd be CRPG because it's a turn-based thing when you get to combat. Yeah, yeah, I would say more CRPG because of uh, I'll look at the stat screen. I play CRPG. Okay, so yeah, it's it's a CRPG. There's, what are you? Uh, well, there's five different uh, combat skills. There's a bunch of uh, different contraption skills. There's five different uh, social skills. Oh yeah. CRPG there's, and there's a lot of stuff you can't see on there. That's not on the menu. Um, so the game is, is very much about the character you create and how you interact with the other characters in it. Um, at its, so from, from the top down, there are different factions in the game and they're denoted by the color of their, their uniform. And then they're just commonly known as like, example the blues the blue faction they're the the engineers the mechanics there's the blues the whites the whites are the scientists there's the blacks they are the like security forces there's the oranges they are convicts who have been brought to this place sort of uh penal colony style uh there's the grays the grays are like the administrative businessy types is that all of them think that's all of them um so that that is one portion of your character creation that makes a huge fucking difference in the game um for example i i played a white uh to be a scientist character i wanted to focus on it feels weird to say that i played a white um but i, I played a white so i could be a scientist type character well um, at least get, you're playing what you know indeed and get boosts to those initial stats and have them be sort of core stats so that they level up faster um, and get double points whenever you level up in, in your core skills. Um, but it there's an entire floor of the main building that is off limits unless you're a white or completing one specific mission in the prologue. Otherwise, you can't go there. If you go there, they're like, hey, you don't have proper security clearance. Get the fuck out. Um, so, you know, you can get there and be there for a story mission. And then there's uh, like a sewer and ventilation system you can use to kind of navigate the, the facility as well where you can be there. But if you get caught, you'll get in trouble, lose a bunch of reputation. They'll kick you out. So, and then there's a, an equal area for the grays in the base. Otherwise I couldn't detect, didn't see anything anywhere else like that, but who knows? I've only played through it one time. Um, there might be some additional things that I didn't even discover, but 
um, because I was another thing is like I got in trouble at the very beginning. Um, You wind up in like a like a maintenance area. And if you choose to report an incident in the maintenance area that you found, as soon as you get there, they chastise you. They're like, well, you're a, a white. What are you doing? Only the blues are supposed to be in the maintenance areas. You need to report to so-and-so for a reprimand. So it's it's got that at its base. Then underneath that, based on what sort of faction you choose, you get stats that are listed as like core or primary stats that um, start at a higher level than your other stats. And then from within those, you can choose like your character's like preferred skills. So when you level up, any point you spend in those is doubled. So, you know, uh, as your skill levels up from zero to 100, each point counts for two. Um, Then on top of that, and this is the part that I didn't realize. So it cost me a lot of shit in the early game. Uh, You have various skills and abilities that unlock underneath these points. And as you spend more skill points the abilities pop up underneath them. I thought that as I spent the skill points, I got the ability automatically. And this was something that I was just like missing. Like maybe I didn't have a tool to use what I was supposed to or not. There's no tool tips for this. It's not covered in the tutorial. So <coughs> um, it, it took me a long time to figure it out. But you actually have to spend ability points to get the abilities that unlock after you spend skill points. So it's that part is a convoluted mess. So I had all of this stuff that I thought that I had, like lot picking and hacking and a couple of other things, um, like some special weapon skills. I was like, oh, I should have these. Why can't I use these? Maybe I'm missing something. No, it just turns out that I hadn't spent the ability points to unlock the abilities. But there's no tooltip for that. If you hover over them, it just says like what the ability does. And you can see, like, as you increase the the base skill stats, that new abilities will pop up underneath. So I'm like, ah, I have this now. But you don't. You have to buy them. So that's annoying. You do get a shitload of ability points to spend on things. You, you get ability points based on how many skill points you have spent for a particular category. So everything that's under sort of like the science category. Every time you spend, um, a, le- uh, spend a skill point in any of the science skills, it goes towards unlocking your next ability point to spend in science. So um, you wind up with a lot of abilities for your various skills. And as far as I can tell, there's no limit. Like you can upgrade your character and the more you upgrade, the more of these sort of ability points that you get. And it doesn't seem like, you know, you can only spend, you know, X number of points in this non-core skill. So it leaves your character pretty open. It's just what sort of faction you sort of automatically belong to at the beginning. And then what are things that level up faster for you? But you build up a reputation with these various factions based on what you do. And they can like you or dislike you. Um, the oranges hated me. I was very sort of lawful good. And with most of them being convicted criminals, they sort of make up the seedy underbelly of the facility where you're at. Um, which that's an interesting thing. This all pops up in like the first few minutes of the game. So this is not spoiler territory. I'm going to be very careful not to spoil any story related stuff, but apparently in the desert, um, like the African desert, there's this gigantic dome that is just discovered one day. Um, And once you go inside, you cannot leave. There's like some kind of force field that prevents anyone who's inside from leaving but you can send information and, and items back out as long as there's no people. 
And so inside this dome, there's all of these alien artifacts of some kind. And there's like huge debate in the game. Like, are these aliens? Is this like a, a different race of humans? Is this from the future? Like stuff like that. And so um, the people who go into the dome, like there's huge incentive to do so. Like massive research is being done. Like this takes place in this the late 60s to early 70s. But they have technology of the 21st century already because of how much it, advancement they've made uh, from within uh, this this domed area in just a few years. But there's some crazy shady shit going on inside the dome. And there's all kinds of weird weather patterns and people are developing um, psionic abilities and sometimes people can't control it and they're having all kinds of issues. And so um, they're still sending people in to do research and try and solve the problem because they're worried that it's going to get out of the dome and, and start hurting people around the globe. So you're like the last group of people to go in and based on which position you choose depends on like what thing it is that you're feeling. But I'm like, my character was like a, um, sort of a, a world renowned scientist who did all of this, like interesting, crazy research, like theoretical research that was proven to be true. And so I'm going into the dome to test it and see if I can solve the, pr the problem. But there were like neat little story hooks like that for each of the different characters. And then eventually you get put on like this team to go and, and do the thing, whatever the thing is that you're supposed to be doing. And that, for story reasons, I won't say any more than that. Um, the combat, the one of the reasons that I compared the game to Divinity a lot is that the combat does involve a lot of uh, sort of creative problem solving and how that you can combine multiple effects for things. You know, there's no spells, um, but there are uh, different environmental things that you can use to your advantage. As a scientist, I got access to certain special weapons that had special effects as opposed to just more bullets. So I could create, uh, you know, explosions and fire and utilize uh, environmental effects. Um, there's like these little anomaly things that are happening. And I had some limited control of like being able to trigger those as like bombs and things like that. So I could use those to destroy enemy or hurt enemies. Uh, there's not a lot of combat though in the first three quarters of it and even then a lot of combat can be avoided again this is a game that allows you to have a lot of creative ways to solve problems there's one mission where you have to you're trying to find this guy uh, there, there's a guy and a bunch of people are looking for him and you're given like three or four different ways you can solve the problem by the different factions you can also just use if your skills are high enough you can just figure it out on your own um, and deal with that and so, you know, there's certain rewards you get from certain factions. And of course, your reputation changes. Then there's certain rewards you can get like bonus reward sort of if you figure it out for your own. And it doesn't affect any faction reputation because you didn't sort of help someone and screw somebody else. The story was really good. It feels very classic Fallout. Um, a lot of Fallout getting thrown around this episode, but very Fallout 1, Fallout 2-esque. Uh, very dark. Not a lot of humor. Um, so that, you know, there might be some buried in there somewhere. So it'd feel a bit drier than, uh, say outer worlds. 
Yeah, this is a very serious game. Not as serious in the sense of like it's del- taking itself seriously, like you know, all high and mighty, but it's got a, a, a different tone, um, a, a much more serious, somber tone to it, which I liked. Um, you know, I think it's good to have games like that sometimes too. Just like it's good to have movies and, and books and things like that occasionally. So, you know, there could be some humor that I missed. Um, my conversational skills weren't the best. I was mostly using my brain my to solve problems and then occasionally a weapon. So there could be some additional humor in there that I just missed based on how I was playing it. But the general sort of main story, which wouldn't change all that much, I don't think, based on your character, was um, was very serious. Very, very serious. And I won't spoil that for anyone who's interested in playing it because it sets up the rest of the game. Um after you beat the prologue, uh, there's a huge, huge change in the the map and the game, and it opens up. Um, you can travel the entire area inside the dome. Um, after you complete the prologue, uh, the prologue isn't on rails per se. You can explore the entire main base. And everywhere that you go to has a lot of area which you can explore and secrets and things that you can find and do. But um, as far as being able to travel where you want to, like when you're in an area, that's where you're at until you complete it and move on to the next one. After finishing the prologue, you can basically go wherever you want and do whatever you want. Um, But there's not a lot to do after beating the prologue. Um, You can wander sort of the wasteland under the dome there's a few things you can find like secret facilities and camps and you can revisit any place you've been previously during the, the prologue segment, but everything is very different. So some things are, are still there. Some things are not. Some people are still there. Some people are not. So there's, there's a lot uh, that has changed. The game says it's going to, once it opens up, like uh, when you look at the store page, there's all the factions are still going to be there and there's going to be continued story. But as far as where the story is at, the prologue is, is finished. And in my opinion, fairly polished. I think I want to go back through it one more time. Now that I know what certain skills do, that way I can access certain quests and things sooner and not accidentally break uh, a couple of tools that I had. Cause you do get like sort of an infinite lock pick. Um, that will that can pick any where it's more like I guess it's an electronic lock breaker is a better way to say it and it can pick any lock but it has a limited number of uses and before I realized that I didn't have the lock picking skill despite the fact that my like uh I think it was stealth or security stick skill was high enough to use it like I was just using the infinite lock break pick until it broke and I'm like oh well fuck so there's a lot of stuff I couldn't actually access and I wasn't gonna go back and redo you know, four hours of gameplay at that point. But overall, I think the game is really good, really interesting. Um, It's not the prettiest game, but I think definitely with this type of game, it's much more about the story. And if the rest of the game, at least in terms of story, is as good as what I have experienced so far, it's definitely going to be worth it on that front. Um, And then with the combat system and things being turn-based, it makes a lot of that easy um, and forgivable if if you do have some minor issues with it, because it's not like it's hindering you from you know getting getting your shots off or um, 
you know, no, no horrible inventory management or anything like that. Um, it does have a little bit of a survival twist to it. You do have to um, eat and drink and sleep and manage some things like radiation poisoning and stuff like that. But it's not horrible. The game ticks down like it's, it, the game has an internal clock that runs at real time. So if you eat, I, I only had to eat one time during the time that I was playing. And like, you could see like your hunger meter sort of rising or your hunger stat in the menu rising. And after about six hours, it's, I got a status effect because my character was a little hungry. So I ate some food, like one can of beans and the hunger meter reset and he was good. And I didn't need to eat oh, that's anymore. Kind of nice, actually. Yeah. I didn't need to eat anymore. Um, and the same went for drinking um, and certain drinks actually make that go up. Like if you drink alcohol, there's, there's, a lot of beneficial effects to drinking like alcohol. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, if you just do it like one, like you can get drunk if you drink too much. I, I messed around with it and like reloaded a save file a bunch of times. But if you just drink a couple of beverages, it gives you like health padding because it's like, oh, you're buzzed. Like you're not going to feel being hurt as much. Um, and it does negatively affect, affect a couple of your stats. But, you know, you, you sort of drink in moderation and it's got positive effects. Um, you drink too much and it trashes a bunch of your stats. But uh, drinking alcohol makes your your thirst meter go up instead of down, which I thought was a nice touch as well. Um, and then sleeping, I mean, sleeping is fine. You know, I didn't, I, I had to sleep once as well um, because of a, a, a certain quest line was like, oh, you have to wait a couple hours and then come back. And I'm like, I'm not waiting two fucking real hours. I'll just sleep. So I slept. Um, but I didn't experience any effects from tired. I took like a two hour nap, so it didn't give me like a rested bonus or anything. Radiation was the only one that I ran into issues with because there was a, a mission where I was exposed to radiation and I had no way to cure it. And so I had some negative stats for a while because I couldn't cure my radiation poisoning. But I had had plenty of opportunities to bring items with me and I just didn't because I hadn't really ran into any radiation. But when I did, it was I was kind of fucked, and that made the rest of the prologue really hard because I had a, a essentially a permanent debuff from radiation poisoning. You got cancer. <laughs> yeah, I got cancer. So it's a really good in depth game. The, my only worry is that it suffers from the Divinity Original Sin problem of the opening area or two are super fucking polished, and then after that, it kind of becomes a mess. I hope that's not what happens. There's no way to tell right now. The prologue, great. You know, if the if the entire game was out, I would say, hey, this game is worth that thirty fucking dollars. Like, the prologue was awesome. The game is very in depth. You got a lot of options, um, a lot of variability to gameplay. Like, whoever designed this definitely has put a lot of thought into it. But after the prologue's over, there's really nothing left uh, to do other than wander around and kind of mess with what, in my opinion, is the weakest part of the game, which is just playing around with the combat stuff and the equipment. Like I said, the combat's not bad, but that's not why you're playing this game. You're not playing this game for the combat. Mm-hmm. So I, if it goes on sale, like the prologue alone, like I got 10 hours out of it, 10 or 12 hours, there's a ton of replayability, it, at least a second time through to make a bunch of different f- choices with the factions play a different faction to see how the story plays out differently. Um, 
you know, I, I'd say you could get 20 hours out of this easy. That might be worth the 30 bucks to you. But if it's ever on sale for like 10 bucks, 10, maybe even 15 bucks, it as is right now, I think it's worth that. Because that prologue is the length of some games. And it's it's polished. It's got an ending that sort of an ending that makes sense. Um, I had to think about it for a little while, but then I put the pieces together in my brain. Uh, and then and the story and the ending makes sense. So two thumbs up for where it's at right now. And then you just have to decide as an individual what the price tag is for between 10 and 20 hours of, of gameplay content at the moment. So um, they're, they're the only... The, the game is not uh, being designed by native English speakers. There are a few rough translations of things. They have stated several times, actually, that they're working on getting the, it translated by more native speakers to reduce or eliminate those issues. Um, there are some times when it was like a little wonky, but I could always understand the idea of what was going on because it would be one of those things where um, certain phrases wouldn't translate right. Uh, what, what, what's the word I'm thinking of? Idioms where idioms wouldn't translate properly. And so you would get something that sounded weird and I'm like, Oh, they're trying to say, I'm pretty sure they're trying to say like this dude is like driving me up a wall. Ah, okay. Be- so, uh, so they would uh, translate it literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there were a few of those those types of things, but they've said they're getting some native English speakers to do the the translation for English and you know native speakers for the other languages as well that the the game's in. But uh, anyways, yeah, two thumbs up, good game encased, and that's all the games that I played. Yeah, we're only at what the little bit over an hour mark. Yep. Um. Moving on, though, to our next news topic. This is a, a combination. Our first, our, topic. our first news topic, yeah. Uh, this is a combination of a few. We had several Blizzard-related news topics this week, and we put them together under uh, BlizzCon BS. So, yeah, I will say that there wasn't everything bad at BlizzCon, but I meant that the bad news kind of outweighed the good news, so... Let's start off. Actually, I missed one that I should have put on there, but I'll talk about it anyway. The protest. Because, yeah, that happened. Go for it. I'm going to rest my voice for a minute. uh, BlizzCon got protested by Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) No, I'm not joking, because this ties back to the Blitzchung uh, debacle that was, what, about a month ago now? Yeah, something like that. Uh, to the point that the protest actually made the New York Times. All right. I'm actually going to drop that into the show notes right about now. There we go. New York Times. So, yeah. Kind of a big deal, huh? Yeah. So, the fact that it's pissed off gamers enough that not only are they actually protesting, but getting enough traction that 
the New York Times is paying attention. I think that says quite a bit for the size of things, and it's not going away. During a lot of the Q&A panels, they actually had people talking about Free Hong Kong or asking about Blitzchung. To be fair, that I'm not sure what I feel about that because a lot of those panels, or I should say all those panels, it's just developers. It's not you know, the businessman behind the, all the decisions. So, but it's still getting it out there and getting it known that you know, people are unhappy with Blizzard. But they're still getting the money because BlizzCon, a BlizzCon is not a cheap con to go to, to say the least. It's what, $100? I have no idea, actually. How much I think it's like $90 or $100 to go to. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a crazy thing to just go into it to protest because, you know, Blizzard, all they care about is the money. You know, this gets back to the whole soulless corporation thing going on uh, that we talked about when this started to break. What was it? Two episodes ago because we had a delay because of freaking episodes. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just... It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to protest by handing out licensed material or go to the uh, con and go inside the con and pay the money for it. It's still funny, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's kind of missing the point. You know, speak with your wallet, right? Yeah. Looks like... All right, so BlizzCon 2019. I was looking this up while you were talking. So there were three options. You could get the BlizzCon Pass, which was the just the standard pass mm-hmm. to get in the door. Something called the BlizzCon Portal Pass, which is $550. <laughs> and then the BlizzCon Benefit Dinner Pass, which was $750. So what was the first option? Just this, the regular old get into the con. It was $230. Damn, that, that's went up a lot since the last time I looked at this. I mean, that's just insane. So the BlizzCon Portal Pass got you access to the Dartmoon Fair at the Night at the Fair event taking place the day before the con officially started, as well as a number of convenience-related extras. These include first access into the show hall, preferred parking, separate lines... Uh, it, it's got in parentheses like uh, akin to Fast Pass at Disney or other theme parks. Access to a dedicated lounge where people can hang out and chat with the developers. Um, and then the $750 includes all of that. Plus, you get into the charity dinner event the night before the con opens. So, uh, and it's the proceeds from the dinner go to the CHOC Children's Charity. Still fucking insane. Yeah, in my opinion, at least. And that's just like that's the past. That doesn't include your hotel, any food, drink, anything like that. Like that's just to get into the convention. Yeah, it's just wow, huh? Yeah. To me, that's crazy. There are mm-hmm. people. I know there are people who enjoy it, and I'm not knocking those people. But like, I don't want to pay two hundred dollars to go anywhere. I would pay $200 to avoid going somewhere. <laughs> well, that's you being Mr. Turtle, but I think it's more, it's also insane that it's a couple day event from a single developer. 
And I think it's somewhat fair to say that most people that play a Blizzard game are invested in one, maybe two of the games. Think that's fair to say? Yeah, I would say so. So Blizzard has four main games, uh, WoW, Diablo, Overwatch, and Hearthstone. Uh, at least at the moment, with Heroes of the Storm kind of falling off to the point that it's pretty much non-existent now. Uh, I'm sure I'm... Uh, oh, StarCraft, of course. Uh, StarCraft is the fifth one. But StarCraft also has kind of finished its development, and maybe we'll see another StarCraft game later on, but it's... You know, you're not going to see a lot of StarCraft outside of esports stuff. So the fact that people are paying that much to me uh, is just insane um, yeah. I'm just blown away that it's that much and the fact that people are going in to protest and risking the op- uh, the chance that Blizzard will just toss them because uh, yeah Blizzard has kind of been a dick here but anyway speaking of being dicks let's talk about the non-apology because the upping ceremony whew, did, did you watch the video of this I did I, I did as well. And it's basically PR speak talking about how they moved too quickly. They didn't apologize for the action. They didn't reverse the action. Uh, the The casters are still banned. The uh, the player is still banned. Matter of fact, he's jumped to a different esport now. It's just, you know, we're sorry. We'll do better next time. Here, here Here's Diablo 4. Which we'll get to Diablo 4 in a little bit. It's just... It's astonishing that people actually bought it. You know? Yeah, a lot of people didn't. But... I know, a lot of people didn't. But I think it's... I think a lot of the people that did buy it maybe didn't understand just the depth of what's going on. I I think that's a fair assessment, don't you? Possibly. I don't know. It's hard to say because part of me wants to say that they're being willful, willfully ignorant. They like their their Blizzard games or product or however you want to look at it so much that they're going to ignore the bad shit that Blizzard is doing. But I mean, or just they don't or, realize that they don't know, or just that they're still in the yeah you know, that kind of fantasy land that Activision and Blizzard are two different entities. Yeah, when they're not. The the blizzard of old is dead. Yeah, you know, they were swallowed up by Activision years ago, and I think that's pretty evident in the quality of their games. To the point that, uh, they're not Blizzard to me anymore. I mean, I played Blizzard games for a fair amount of time. The fact that they're pushing out another Overwatch so quickly, when they worked so long for or for in the past for so long to keep development on a single title. I think that's uh, you know kind of a telling moment right there that yeah, the Blizzard Vault is gone, right? So Overwatch released initially May 24th, 2016. When is Overwatch 2's release date? Uh, I think it's before too long actually. I didn't actually look into that because I had no interest in Overwatch. Uh 
I know they talked about Diablo 2 being far off, but they need something to pad out the show, I guess. You mean Diablo 4? Or Diablo 4, sorry. They may have not announced a release date. No, uh, May 24th, 2016 is that one. Uh, um, they're saying long wait on both Overwatch 2 and Fallout. Or sorry, and Diablo 4. Oh, there's a lot of 4s going around. So yeah, I'm guessing over- basically they're padding, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna guess Overwatch Two is gonna be 2020, sometime in 2020. Uh, well, they uh, I've already said Overwatch Two is still very much in the early stages of development, which rules out an early 2020 launch. So likely late 2020, early tw- uh, 2021 at or earliest. I mean, and that's a minimum of four years between title releases. Yeah, but still... That's a good long while when you think about franchises like Call of Duty. And and I mean, I'm not trying to like give Blizzard a free pass, but I don't think I I agree with your statement where that you're saying... While I'm looking at at more, they've always been expansion-focused. Because think of of, uh, StarCraft, think of uh, WoW. Yeah, but Overwatch is a very different type of game to those... Not that you couldn't have expansions uh, especially for first-person shooters. But, but, but. but the thing is, Overwatch is also a games-as-a-service thing going on with ha- with all the cosmetics going on and all the microtransactions. So how does that carry over, or does it carry over? What would be nice is if it was, and I mean, they're not, not going to do this, but it would be nice if it was an expansion of the original Overwatch that was an actual single-player campaign. Oh, well, they have talked about a single-player campaign in it, but yeah, I have no interest really in any Blizzard products, even before all these shenanigans. But uh, Blizzard shenanigans still going on. <laughs> Diablo yeah. Four. So Diablo yeah. Four, um, online only for everything. Single player. Oh, got a, a internet connection issue. Oh, well, so much for your game. It, this is idiotic to me. Is this better or worse than do you not have phones? Uh, Well, they didn't have a particular meme-worthy line that I heard coming out of this outside of the entire joke of uh, that apology. So not I think uh, do you not have phones is still more meme-worthy. So no. But still the fact that they talked about learning from the mistakes of Diablo 3 and then immediately announced Diablo 4 is online only. Yeah. I'm not the I'm not a huge Diablo fan. I've played I, I'm two not. and three. But I'm not like you know, I'm not a top down isometric type of, of game player. There are certain types of games that I yeah, like. I have it. To, yeah, I have to drag you kicking and screaming to play Divinity at first. Yeah, but you know, I just I I don't really care for the Diablo style or type of game, but I can't for the life of me understand other than just a combination of well, that's what you do now, right? And also a way to yeah, or DRM or a way to hook people into some kind of microtransaction system, like like uh, the, so, the sort sing- of like how Diablo three had it, where it was the real money auction house that. Uh, forced them to be an online only game for no, actually are they still online only i'm not sure i don't uh, i don't think so i don't know for at launch they didn't have a single player or an offline mode because 
it was all tied into the real uh, money auction house where you could sell your loot in theory to get you know, uh, you know, to get cash, and if you got lucky, you wouldn't have to pay for your other games, or you would essentially make your money back by cashing out of the system. But the thing is that it never really worked out, and it just hobbled the loot experience. So the fact that Diablo Four isn't learning from this and making it online only when, uh. They are also talking about console releases like the Switch, which, hey, let's have an online-only game on a mobile platform that does not have G3 or G4 or G5. It's a Wi-Fi system. Let's have an online-only game for that. Yeah. Uh, so Diablo 3 started online-only, but it be- you could play single-player offline on PC after a certain point. And when it released on consoles, it never had online only. You can always play the single player offline. So much for learning from their mistakes. But eh. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do like a good ARPG every so often, which does explain why I never played Diablo 3 or Diablo 4. That's an it. Hi, oh. But yeah, it's just. I could excuse some games being online only for uh, other reasons. Path of Exile being online only when it's a free-to-play cosmetic-based uh, 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 fu- or cosmetic-funded system. I can understand that. And, you know, the fact that Path of Exile is actually pretty damn good. But I, I just... I think ARPGs for me, I need more than just the loot ground. I, I need a story. You know, I need a reason. And yes, I realize Diablo does have a story in there somewhere. I think. I don't know. Don't care. Get off my lawn, kid. Yeah. So. It's just, there's a lot of head scratchers. And uh, they also talked about, I didn't post a link to it, but next uh, World of Warcraft expansion is also doing a huge stat and level squish. So, yeah, you're about to get a lot weaker if you're playing WoW. (laughs) Right? Yeah, they. I mean, they they do that every. Let's see. When did they do that last? Because they've done it before. It might have been Cataclysm when they did that. Oh uh, no, they didn't do it in Cataclysm. I would have. Uh, uh, I was still playing then. Okay, I think it was the one afterwards. Pandaria, Mr. Pandaria. I think so, because I know on one of the uh, one of the expansions, as you leveled up, you were actually getting weaker. <laughs> Yeah, and that's which, one of those weird which things. Really that, pissed people off. That's one of those weird things about power creep and MMOs. That it's, I mean, basically, there's two ways to handle it. You keep making stuff, just be stronger and stronger, or every once in a while you correct that curve, or maybe correct is the wrong way to use, but you you do something to. Well, change. this is dropping an amble on it. Yeah. Well, they've never done anything subtly or in a way that listens to their players in an appreciable way. Which is why I don't play Blizzard games anymore. I shouldn't say never, but in recent history. So. So I would say uh, Blizzard to me these days is right up there with Konami. Fuck Blizzard. Yeah, fuck them. But, you know, I haven't. 
I played WoW a little bit with my mom last year. But, I mean, it's been nearly a year since I've touched any Blizzard or Activision, question mark, property. Uh, let's see. It's been actually close to a decade since the last time I played WoW. Nice. Was, I, I stopped playing a few months after Cataclysm launched, and that was in 2010. Damn, that was 2010. Fuck, I'm old. Indeed. You're an old man. And why are you still on my lawn? Just because I like to aggravate you, you old coot. You wonder why I'm mean to you. <laughs> oh, I know I deserve it. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, so you finally admit it. You deserve it. I do deserve it. Uh, speaking right. of uh, people getting things that they deserve. Yeah, go ahead. So the ACC rules, Fallout 76 refunds could go forward in Australia. So, hey, how about another country that has better consumer protection than the United States, right? Indeed. What does so the ACCC stand the, for? Uh, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Gotcha. Uh, I just happened to see that right as I opened the article. Uh, the ACC... Uh, uh, Tech Raptor kind of blunts it to. I think that I think they had a typo there and they left out a C. Has put out a press release on the subject of Fallout 76 and refunds for Australians. They, in it, they state that Zenimax. I'm just reading from the article to get a little bit of history on that. Has acknowledged that they were likely to have misled customers about the rights in relation to getting a refund. The ACCC has received complaints that Cinemax representatives have told customers that they were not entitled to refunds after they had complained about the various issues uh, the, uh, with the game, including server troubles, lag, and graphical problems. However, this statement was not in line with the rights actually afforded to Australian customers. As a result, Cinemax will be going forward with making refunds available to customers in the country, although there are a few conditions as to who could get them and when. So essentially, you had to uh, contact Zenimax uh, between November 24th and June 1st of this year. So November 24th of 2018 to June 1st of this year, seeking a refund, but ultimately failing to get one in order to get this. But it's kind of amazing that the game is that bad that yeah, consumer protection is now stepping in to <laughs> force refunds. I don't know if amazing is the word that I would use to describe that situation. Uh, ast- uh, uh, but... uh, astounding? Uh, gobsmacking? Yeah. It is... Uh, fa- head desking? Outrageous. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, you know, it makes sense because the game was a broken piece of shit. And well, they was... made all of these claims and promises in their market and pregame hype that was like... You know, the, this, the phrase that sticks out in my mind every time it comes up is where Todd Howard is saying, it just works. <laughs> and it's like, it just doesn't. Uh, but you're saying was? It well, still I'm, is. I mean, no, that's what I'm saying. That's like the, the phrase that's. That, no, no, I'm just saying it was a broken piece of shit. It's still a broken piece of shit. Oh, yeah. It's just a more expensive broken piece of shit now because they're charging a subscription fee to. It's broken in new and different ways. Uh, Fallout 76 is the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? 
Indeed. Or news content, at least. The gift that keeps on shitting its pants. <laughs> oh, well, at least Todd Howard uh, wore the brown pants. Yeah. It's just... I really think we're going to hit some point that we'll have a tipping point where uh, the AAA gaming industry is going to screw itself up so much that it's going to collapse in on itself at some po- uh, to some degree. I'm not saying the bubble is going to burst. I think the game industry is too big to... I don't want to use the term too big to fail, but too big to fade away. It, yeah, but, it's not like in the 80s where a serious crash has the potential to wipe out the entire industry. It's too big for something like that to completely take it out, but it could definitely be cut down to size. Yeah, I think we're going to see, uh, especially the major players, have to do some reshuffling whenever uh, they start missing too many sales goals, especially on these yearly releases of... Uh, you know, with Call of Duty, of FIFA, of Madden. And I realize I just uh, named a bunch of EA titles when we're talking about Bethesda because Bethesda doesn't really do annual titles, but it's the same idea that pushing out a game before it's ready and maybe fixing it later and just getting those sweet, sweet pre-orders, it's just, it's an unsustainable model, isn't it? It has to be, right? Or or we are we out of touch here? No, there's only so much growth potential for any market. I'm I'm not an economist. Uh, I have studied this stuff a little bit, but but you will play one on the podcast right now. I will. I've studied this stuff a little bit because I think it's interesting. I mean, there's only so much growth potential for a particular market or a particular population, and then at that point, you either have to develop a new product or you have to market to a new population. And gaming has been growing, I think, so exponentially in recent years, the recent most recent decade or so, because they have widely expanded their audience. Uh, because games are getting worse all the time as a general rule. Like these big companies that are the faces of and that sort of run or rule the roost of the gaming industry, their games get worse over time. And I think the only thing that's explained this has been their huge explosion in the market that they're getting into. But there is a limit. At the end of the day, I mean, the hard limit might be the entire population of the Earth. It's going to be. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's going to be. It has to be. Um, because there are still plenty of parts of the world that don't have running water, let alone electricity and a high-speed internet connection. Yeah, but you better believe EA will try to market FIFA to them. True. But, you know, your your target demographic can only get so big. And then they're going to start to either run into cannibalization issues where they're eating up their own audience with multiple properties. Or, you know, they're just going to kind of hit market saturation. And then that's going to be it for their growth projections. And then there's going to be that stagnation. And it's going to force... If there's one thing investors hate, it's stagnation. Yeah. Or missed uh, sales uh, projections because... Yeah, you could only grow so much, like you said. It's it's kind of crazy just where we've gone with this, huh? Yeah. Uh, with the games industry, I should say. I mean, something has to give, right? Something does, eventually. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, China has been this very recent in the last few years market expansion of all of these companies because China represents a population of, you know, roughly, I mean, and I know there's more people in China than 1.5 billion, but, you know, a billion and a half to 2 billion people who have income and who live in areas that are developed that have power and internet and, you know, disposable income. And so, you know, normally you have to build a market slowly over time, but they're just getting this massive fucking market dumped on them. But uh, China has 1.3 billion right now. Just do they? I thought China had more people than that. Um, looking world population 2019, uh, 1,380,914,176, uh, according to this. So uh, they are actually uh, about to lose out to India. India has been surging there at 1.311 versus 1.380. So India is catching up. India will take uh, likely take over in the next few years. Interesting. So the combination of the one-child policy in China plus a preference for male children mm-hmm. led to population stagnation. Yeah. That's fascinating. <laughs> that many people in China. I've read mm-hmm. some some reports that talk about. Welcome to the the geopolitical <laughs> portion of the podcast. I've read some reports that talk about this population in China of men who will never marry a, a Chinese woman because the population difference is so massive for their age group. I mean, talking about ten million or more men who have no prospect of finding a Chinese marriage partner. And so how they are... I'm just doing some quick math in my head. I don't want to... China has the population of the United States, um, which is number three, Indonesia, number four, Brazil, number five, and Pakistan, number six, essentially combined. I didn't realize the U.S. was number three. I mean, we've got, what, 335-ish million people? 333. Yeah. Uh, this is a projection, of course, for the United States because the census is next year. Right. Um, so, anyways, you know, how there's this group of 10 million plus Chinese males who will never marry a Chinese female and how that they are different ways that the culture is adapting to it. You wind up with the concept of otaku, except in China instead of Japan. I know that's a Japanese word, but that sort of concept. <laughs> but also this huge migration of of young Chinese males out of China into other neighboring countries or regions, and how that's causing interesting sort of geopolitical issues in those areas because there's all this influx of Chinese values and belief systems from all of these men coming seeking relationships. It's fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah, so that's part of the reason why we're seeing all the trouble with Blizzard is because they're having to kowtow to China in order to be able to play ball in that court. And we're seeing it with other companies as well. It's just Blizzard's the big one in gaming right now that's done it. So, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating stuff, huh? Yeah. Where did we get to in the discussion of Australia forcing Blizzard and Zenimax to <laughs> give people refunds? I don't know. I kind of lost the, uh, down the rabbit hole at some point. The gist of that news story is that the Australian government said, no, fuck you. Follow our laws. And so 
Zenimax and Bethesda said, yeah, our game, we we might have deliberately misled people with our marketing. So if you had previously applied and been denied a refund for the date range that you listed earlier, uh, what, October of 2018 to June or? Uh, Basically release date to June 1st. Yeah. If you had requested and been denied a refund, you can re-request and they will are legally required to give you a refund and then you lose access to the game, which big fucking deal. I'm sure they're extremely happy never to have to play that piece of shit again. So, yep, that's that news article in a nutshell. <laughs> Good. Good. Um, let's go ahead and get back to our show and get through the last couple of sections of it. All right, and leave this freaking content behind. Absolutely. So moving on to our fourth and final news topic of the night. Baryon Kart Tour multiplayer is coming first for those with the $5 per month subscription. Oh, oh, Nintendo, you've just dunked your head in the vat and just started drinking the Kool-Aid, huh? Seems that way. It's... Why? Why why is this a thing? Outside of making all the money, right? Yeah. So... Uh, actually, Jim Sterling had a video. It wasn't about this, but he didn't bring up Mario Kart to the Hidden Bot video. Have you watched that? Yeah, it was this week's Jimquisition. Mm-hmm. We're uh, essentially calling out games that had bots under the guise of players and called out Mario Kart very specifically just because they've obfuscated it so much that you know it does look like they're players until you start to really pay attention to it huh yeah and the fact that they're hiding the multiplayer to or i should say make it exclusive to the subscription model for a time being i mean we have no idea how long this is going to last is it, it just feels very scummy doesn't it it does and I'm not trying to sort of absolve Nintendo of this, but how does Nintendo is their mobile division in-house or did they like No, they uh, no, they no, they, uh, they contracted out, but they have they have to have control of this because Nintendo never gives up control. That's true. I just was was thinking like how much of this is their decision making versus just hey, we're doing this thing. Oh, okay, we don't know what we're doing, so you you do it. Well, the Tintos, uh they did one in-house thing with Mario Runner. But they set the price tag to $10 for an Infinite Runner game that, uh, honestly, not a lot of people bought. So, I, I didn't buy it because I wasn't interested in the genre. So, when that didn't meet sales expectations, they started cranking up Essentially, all the micro uh, transactions, all the mobile bullshit, to the point that we're at this point now where they're in a gotcha game with a subscription model and selling cosmetics on top of it. Because if memory serves correctly, you could buy cosmetics directly as well in the game with uh, premium currency. Because I played some of the beta for this turret and whew. It's just wow, right? Yeah. 
Fuck that's on top of you know, the microtransactions being turned up to 11, uh, even more so than usual, having the absolutely sky-high microtransactions where they're macrotransactions. It's just, I, I really don't see why people are buying this. Outside of you know, Mario, right? I was going to say, because it's Mario Kart on mobile. Mm-hmm. It's not even Mario Kart, that's the thing. This is this is a Mario Kart skin on another game. Because it doesn't play like Mario Kart. Your your choices on tracks are very restricted. Uh you aren't playing against other players, which is well, at least for now, which is a good uh, bit of the draw of Mario Kart. Your the options for shortcuts is very small. You don't really have any control over the car outside just you know, going left and right. It's just it's a it's a very, very light Mario Kart game. It feels like, like I said before, a skin on a different game. So you know it's you can't even use that excuse outside of you know people wanting a Mario Kart game and this is the best they get. When hey emulation's a thing. Go check it out boys. Yes it is. And girls. Yeah, don't forget the girls. Boys and girls, go check it out. Mm-hmm. Non-binary people. Just the whole spectrum. Go check out well, them, well, their emulators. Well, well I'm Southern, so, so guys is you know, uh, gender neutral. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Y'all, y'all come back now, you hear? Uh, bless Nintendo's heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> so, moving on. To yeah, community to, corner. Yeah, no emails, no tweets. So, uh, you didn't uh, show up for community game night. Nope, I slipped through it. Deepest apologies once again, my dear friends and listeners. I didn't have the game, so I didn't bother to check out to see if anybody even showed up. I'm gonna possibly Friday, um, try and hang out with some people and and make up my lack of sharks. Obviously, when this comes out on Friday. Uh, if you're if you get to it on that day and you missed me talking about it in Discord, which I'm probably gonna do, hey, come on by and play some some sharks. Um, the game is depth, but um, I've been thinking more he- more uh, seriously about doing like a movie night instead. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about the Resident Evil movie series. Have a little bit of a you know sort of a they're not quite B movies, but they're pretty close. So doing a little bit of video game B-movie type stuff, Mortal Kombat, the Resident Evil movie series, um, nothing too crazy like Warcraft at this point. But, you know, just a few video game movies, we chill, I'll watch a movie together. And I would, what I would do, because, you know, we've, we've, you've mentioned, I know you've mentioned a couple of times, like the, a couple of various sites and things that allow you to do sort of synchronized watching. But I think yeah. I'm just going to upload, uh, the video file because I've got all of these movies in my digital uh, library. Hang, hang on. Uh, 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 Hollywood, uh, plug your ears. <laughs> Earmuffs, Hollywood. But no, I just upload the video files like to Dropbox or Google Drive and pop, drop the link in. Um, but I was thinking about that either doing the Mortal Kombat, uh, 90s Mortal Kombat movie or the first Resident Evil movie. Um, could pose that question in Discord. I haven't mentioned that to you yet. What do you think of that idea, sir? 
Uh, it's not bad. Uh, I think I would prefer probably Mortal Kombat over uh, uh, Resident Evil, but that's kind of a, a blanket statement for that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying they're great movies. They're, they're not even good movies for the most part, but I think they're fun. You know? Um, uh, the first Resident Evil movie is okay. The second one, I think, is the best one. The third one is a, a mess, and they just go downhill from there. But the the worse they sort of get, the more B-movie qualities they pick up, and the more kind of campy they get. So you can laugh at them, you know, the the farther on in the series you get. But yeah, I, perhaps. I think, uh, usually when I watch a B-movie, I prefer to have a, a, yeah, three silhouettes at the bottom. Though. Fair enough. But anyways, yeah, I'm thinking about doing that for this this Monday. Mortal Kombat. I haven't seen Mortal Kombat in a while. I've watched the Resident Evil movies more recently uh, than Mortal Kombat. So it'd be a good time to to do Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, but are you going to finish them? What, the Resident Evil movies? That joke's just went whoosh past you, didn't it? 100%. Finish them? Oh, for Mortal Kombat. Yeah, okay. I got it. Drug addled. Drug addled. And getting sleepy too. But yeah, I think that I think I'm gonna get an executive decision watching Mortal Kombat for community game night. I don't know. I'm leaning more towards making that uh the thing, but I'll probably post it in Discord and just ask and see what people's thoughts are. But that would be fun. We haven't done that. It'd be a good way to take the pressure off of who has what game available. You know, because I can just drop the file and then everybody's got it that wants to participate. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's that. How can they get in touch with us, Rach, if they want to send us emails or Well, tweets? if you were to email us, vglpodcast at gmail.com or on the Twitter, vglpodcast there as well. So, doobly-doo. Indeed, for that there, Discovery Q. So, I'm pretty sure you had this one, but what the hell? I'm going to I'm going to steal it anyway because it's EA returning to Steam crawling back and that amuses me. Star, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. I'm pretty sure you had this several weeks ago. Yeah, I've had it in the last two or three recordings. So, but... I mean, it's the it's not it's an action adventure RPG where you're playing a Jedi from a Fallen Order, right? Uh, we don't actually don't know what the story is. They've been so it's other- no, this is this is post Order sixty six, and you're a surviving Jedi who avoided the purge. Uh, I don't know where it takes place specifically in the storyline, other than after the prequels. But I don't uh, know. So, if it- so maybe there'll be some good writing there because you know. Lucas has gotten the leash on him at that point. Possibly. So you got one? No. I currently am four games down my list. I got two that were not English titles, two that were those shitty, like, porn tile games. And you need to stop looking at those. I keep ignoring them. I just hit ignore and move on. Well, I'm pretty, pretty sure you've seen this one. As, uh, you've had this one as well, but what the hell? Uh, my, in- my industry where it is a essentially Factorio meets Tower Defense 
with a focus on resource management. It, uh, I'm blanking on the goo game that it kind of reminds me of, but overall, it looks pretty impressive. And it looks like it's getting some uh, rather good post-release support as well. And I'm trying to buy you time to find something. Find something. I've got, I've got one. I'm going to type it in right now. Um, BDSM, Big Drunk Satanic Massacre. Uh, this is a, it says it's a satirical uh, game. It's a top-down sort of reverse doom. You're playing a demon and fighting doom guys. Um, huh. BDSM is the first satirical action RPG where you get to play Lou, Satan's son. Get some booze, kill the traitors, save hell, and rescue the hottest demoness from the clutches of those nasty people and mega corporations. So you're playing Satan's son, fighting, I guess, traitors, demons, Doom Guy, and everything that Doom Guy represents. Which I can oh. I can dig as long as it's funny. Because a game yes, like this sir. really has to stand on its its how funny its satirical humor is. Well, speaking of uh, standing on satirical humor, and depending on how funny it is, I got Postal Four. No regrets. I didn't realize they were making a Postal Four. What about you? Me neither. So the Postal Dude is back. <laughs> So, it's from the original developers. Uh, no Regrets is a satirical and outrageous comedy, comic open-world first-person shooter and a long-awaited true sequel to what's been fondly dubbed as the worst game ever, Postal 2. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like they definitely have at least some of the humor back. There's a guy, uh, the Postal guy, riding a power chair. <laughs> Oh, same nice. people on fire. I mean, it looks pretty spot on, only just a bit updated graphics. I won't say yep, modern graphics per se, but it doesn't look bad, does it? No, it does not. Uh, so my next one, Neocab. Play as Lena, the last human driver for hire, searching for her missing friends in the neon streets of Los Ojos in this interactive story. You meet unique passengers during your nightly shift, each with their own clues and secrets, if you can get them to share. So we've seen several games yeah, pop up like this here recently. That, yeah, I had Night Call, what was it, a month ago? Yeah. This has got more of a cyberpunk-esque um, look and feel to it, as opposed to, I think Night Call was noir, right? Yeah, it was very noir. But it's the same. it looks like the same basic idea. You take people on uber rides or whatever this you know version this world's version of uber is looks like the, there's pieces where you talk to them and um you know can get information from them so pretty cool doing some detecting it's got a demo too that's something i've noticed a lot here recently a lot of these games have demos on steam which is seems ludicrous to me but i'm happy to see it yeah huh. i found something kind of interesting I'm going to copy and paste. It's called 10 Miles to Safety. This looks like kind of a mixture of a Battle Royale-esque idea where you have to run into uh, a particular area mixed with an ARPG with some uh, strong procedural generation as well. 
but it's not a battle royale game. I want to make that very clear right now. It is an ARPG with some co-op where the apocalypse has arrived and your goal is simple. Make it 10 miles to safety through a limitless, procedurally generated world overrun with the infected and packed with the tools and weapons to fight them. So essentially an ARPG open world survival game where you just got to get to this uh, to the extraction point. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing. It looks like it has some uh, strong crafting elements and some building elements. So following perhaps a little bit from Fortnite, but also looks like a little bit from Project Zomboid where you're having to hold up as well and try to have some survival uh, elements as well. So interesting, but it's kind of some rogue light elements in it where you're searching for uh, loot, uh, very Fortnite esque, where you're finding stuff, building barricades, but still trying to survive and get to the exit in this procedurally generated game. So interesting. It's nice to see someone taking the idea behind some of the. Uh, ideas that made Fortnite so popular and actually taking running with it. Yeah. So I got Castlevania Anniversary Collection. I was thinking about skipping skipping past this because, I mean, it's basically Castlevania. It's in in part uh, for Konami's 50th anniversary. Um, Uh, And uh, somewhere Jim Sterling's yelling, Fuck Konami! Yeah, but so this has got Castlevania, Castlevania 2, 3, Super Castlevania 4, Castlevania The Adventures, Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge, Castlevania Bloodlines, Kid Dracula, and it says in parentheses, never released in English before, and The History of Castlevania, Book of the Crescent Moon. Um, And and soon to be added, Castlevania in Space. (laughs) Um, But uh, it says it's got, um, and this could, could all be within this book of the crescent moon that could be what this is but it also says it's got an ebook um that some of the original developers and stuff uh, co-authored um and i was like oh okay that's neat i guess and then i scroll down and i look at some of the reviews and it's basically they're saying that a lot of these are the game boy versions um and then they haven't fixed any of the major issues or bugs um in particularly castlevania 2 um, and they haven't fixed any of the translations because, um, you know, in Castlevania 2, some things like make absolutely no sense where it's like figuring out that you're supposed to take whatever it is to the wall for the tornado to come pick you up is impossible oh, yeah, the, to decipher. Oh, yeah, the angry uh, video game nerd had a video on that. Yeah, many, ago. many years ago. One of his, I think it was one of his first videos. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there there are fan patches and things that have fixed that, but none of that is in this apparently. So, so, I mean, I have. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say. So, I mean, pros and cons. I guess I don't know if you can officially buy Castlevania on PC anywhere, but emulators. So, yeah. So emulated. So I have a game that we've talked about before on mobile coming to PC. Rebel Inc. Escalation. So this looks like it's the full version, only it's still an early access of Rebel Inc. And you have this on your wish list already. And if I recall correctly, Rebel Inc. I had a problem with just not explaining a damn thing, right? Yeah. Where you were kind of just 
guessing all along and it never really gave you the information on how to progress. So I'm hoping that maybe uh, the PC version will be a little bit more robust. But it's a little tough to say or if it's just going to be a, you know, a complete port. But yeah, it's interesting. It does look like it has the PC tax full on though. So yeah. Yeah, so I got uh, Armored, Brig- Armored Brigade. Armored Brigade is a real-time tactical war game focusing on realism and playability. In Armored Brigade, the Cold War has turned hot, and Europe is once again torn apart by conflict. So this looks like a very um, strategy-type focus. Like it's, It looks like it's played almost exclusively from a big big map, you know, a big top-down map setting. Um, I'm think, thinking more like uh, you're looking at the big strategic board and home base. There's a couple of things that look a little more zoomed in, but I get the impression that it's a lot more um, DEFCON than Command and Conquer, uh, which could be interesting. Um, I like that type of game. I have been getting more into it over more recent years. So depending on how well it handles its, its micromanagement and things like that, could make it uh, a pretty decent game. Uh, it looks like it's on, uh, I guess, a launch sale for 30% off. Um, this game launched November 15th. No, it launches November. Oh, that was last year. Okay, so I guess maybe this is in conjunction with the uh, autumn sale. But right now, it's only $27.99 if you're really interested. Well, I got something a bit odd. Firestone Auto RPG. So this is a free-to-play auto RPG with it looks like it has some option to actually play a lot more actively than your typical idle clicker where uh, I, I honestly haven't looked too much into this but it looks like there's some option to actually play it like or at least similarly to a traditional rpg while others there's a option just to let it kind of run on a secondary screen and you know have pretty pretty pictures uh, flashing even though there is some concern that they're not updating it as quickly as they uh, should. Because some of the features that were promised during the summer, according to some reviews, have not been put into place, such as PvP or guilds. Even though they are still marked as coming soon. And also, some of the talents could use some remaking, according to the top review. But, hey, it's free to play, so you can at least go try it out if it's your thing. But it looks like it's mostly like a mobile game, so... It may be out there as well on your mobile store of choice. Yep. So I got Gun Gun Pixies. Tiny but mighty aliens have come to Earth to learn about humans and save their own mother world. In a unique spin on a third-person shooter, it will be up to you to infiltrate a college girl's dorm and research human behavior by shooting them with happy bullets in their rooms or their baths exclamation point i i think you understand why i would would oh be boy. interested in this um it does have some, a couple of neat little things like so i'm looking at one of the screenshots it, it looks like they're doing sort of the uh metal gear solid thing with the like gruff looking dude and like a square box talking to you um and it looks like there's some at least light RPG elements or at least some amount of like customization or something. It also looks like it's got a sort of a 
a graphic novel um, or a light novel like part to it. Uh, yeah, but the real reason you're here is for where you go to the screenshots and the first one is literally just an ass. Yeah. Tiny girl, tiny boobies. Woo! Oh, that's one giant ass. <laughs> and I'm all about a big ass. Oh, jeez. It's $45. It's on a 10% uh, launch discount right now. Well, so it turns out it's not just the asses bucks. are big. Yeah, the ask is also very big. All right. Yeah, I'm hitting a lot of VR-only titles. Okay, all right, all right, here we go. I just got something. Okay. Tron 4, The Nightmare Prince. So, oh, the Tron series. The Tron series, for those who have not played, is a puzzle platformer or co-op puzzle platformer where you play one of three different characters who have gotten stuck in the in a mystical uh, artifact called the Tron and in the first game you are basically trying to figure out how to escape the second one they come back together and, uh, uh, for the sake of the kingdom the third one was a complete shit show Let's be perfectly honest. They went uh, full 3D, or I should say 2.5D, which broke a lot of the puzzle elements from the first two games because the first two were completely uh, uh, 2D and made some of them a lot more cumbersome. Uh, the wizard, for example, he doesn't have any direct combat skills, but he's able to summon various platforms and various uh, shapes. Uh, he's able to summon boxes, he's able to summon floating platforms and planks, at least in the first two. Uh, the knight is a melee character, with the rogue being a ranged character with some ability to jump uh, and swing on various uh, platforms. And the interaction between the abilities of all three within co-op is what made the game a lot of fun. But they kind of dropped the ball on the third and I'm a little hesitant on the fourth even though it does look like it's being reviewed a lot better it's a very careful consideration on this especially at the price tag of 20 bucks or sorry 30 bucks so yeah I would say it's something to look at more than anything right now and see how it does and they do have a history of patching in extra content towards the uh, end of development so yeah I, I didn't realize they were you know, Tron 4 was actually coming out so yeah it's nice to see it again but I'm a little hesitant just considering how they kind of burned people in the past uh, yeah sometimes you do want to uh, change things up and try something new Sometimes you break what was working. They broke what was working last time. Right. So I got one. Um, Mars Power Industries Deluxe, which is an interesting title for what basically is a simple, cute puzzle game about being on Mars and having some sci-fi elements of technology for like resource harvesting and stuff. But I mean, it's a puzzle game where it uh, looks like the idea is 
um, you get your sort of order of operations and placement right, and you have to clear the board in a certain number of moves in order to win and advance to the next level. So it's got 97 uh, handcrafted puzzles. They approximate uh, four to five hours of gameplay um, for a first playthrough. Um, and it's only three bucks. I'm tempted to buy this right now. It's 10% off for its launch week. Uh, it launched yesterday. Um, this is not early access, full release. Little cute little indie title. I'm going to seriously consider buying this like right now. I, it looks really intriguing and I'm all about good. I mean, this is perfect impulse buy for me. I love cute little puzzle games like this. These little matching style puzzles and, uh, you know, just a couple of bucks. So I got sort of the opposite end of the spectrum of a dark fantasy reverse horror action strategy game where you play as the nightmares force of a dragon by controlling and growing as a horde of minions. So essentially, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. It's uh, sort of uh, like some of the modes from uh, gratuitous tank battles where you're controlling the attacking force uh, of a tower defense. From what I can tell, at least. Very interesting title. It's uh, looks like it's all pixel art. Looks like it's almost like a late Nintendo era, or maybe early Super Nintendo era. Uh, game graphically but yeah it's uh, interesting you don't see too many reverse uh, tower defenses so yeah very very strange but kind of neat not sure about the asking price though of 15 bucks well that was my entire queue Uh, my last game was a a game that did not have an English translation so Oh. oh I may have just hit your game of the year. Okay. Or, or or I should say a game that you're going to lose a lot of time in. Assuming you... Well, you already won it, so you've seen this at some point. But you may have forgotten about it because... Yeah, Outscape. 4X Space Strategy MMO. So how many tick boxes did it just hit, right? All of them. And it looks like it's... I mean, honestly, you know, a cargo ship is kind of like a space train. Very true. Especially if you make a convoy. Convoy! <laughs> but yeah, it has this... It looks very familiar, but I can't quite place it. Maybe it's just, you know, where all space games have a very similar aesthetic control-wise, I should say. But it has a very familiar feel to it and I just can't quite place it. Maybe it's just you know, that UI, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Space War X, you could only do things so many ways, right? Yeah, and then it starts to look like other games you play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it looks very interesting. It looks a bit like Stellaris, honestly. Which I've been toying around with on and off, but yeah feeling miserably because I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> Maybe mixed with a little bit of uh, Sword of the Stars. Mm, possibly. I, I don't see it, but that doesn't mean it's Maybe, not there. maybe ship, descri- ship design. Yeah. Where it's very modular. Mm-hmm. 
I could see that. But yeah, I mean, very interesting little title. It is twenty five bucks. So yeah, I think it's worth a look. It's still in early access though, so who knows, right? Yeah, never know. Uh, how many do you have left in your queue? That was my last one, but before I hit you with the socials, I'm going to hit the elevator again. I drank way too much of my uh, stuff before we started. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess I'll just stand and stretch Damn my hydration. legs. I'm, I'm good. Otherwise. I, I'm, I'm much rather not risk it. I don't really want to edit anything. So what I could do is just talk. Hello. Now that it's just you and me, dear listener. Tell me all of your deke and deke, all of your deke deep. I fucked it up. That's okay. I'll fuck it up because I'll fuck you up with my penis. I should stop. Everybody wants to hear that. I'm very sleepy. Just sort of winding down the time with my tea. Have a snack. I'm looking forward to, to tomorrow. I got some some stuff going on. Big old dumb meeting at work. Okay, I'm back. Welcome back. I was just talking because I don't want to edit anything. So I can just hit it with the truncate silence and it'll pull out the silence and I'll just be talking about weird stuff. And then you could edit out that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just put it this way. I drank a pitcher of my uh, drink that I make. Uh, while I was uh, talking to Anita. Mm-hmm. And I usually drink one of those during the podcast, and I'm at the end of it. Nice. So, yeah, I'm extremely well hydrated right now. So, how about hitting them with them socials, Rage? Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on the YouTubes, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR. And if you wish to be my friend on Steam, I'm Caffeine Rage over there. And you've been Gaming Psychologist. If you want to find me on the YouTubes, you can do so by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter at JMA4707. And on Steam, if you want to be my friend there, JArthur4707. And if you want to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Oh Bother. Oh Bother. <laughs> nice. Yeah, bringing it back to Winnie the Pooh, right? Indeed. And if you wish to bring back some content to the community corner, you could do so once again. Futurepodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or just tweet them to us, Podcast on the Twitter. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made all of this madness possible. You can find out more, patreon.com slash Podcast. And something else our patrons have made possible is our Podbean website bgopodcast.podbeam.com which hosts the RSS feed links to all our stuff and of course the show notes where you can find us on iTunes, Google Play or your podcatcher of choice our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod and do believe do our Discovery Cube music is by the same artist you can find more of his work over at incomputech.com and as always as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice bye bye now See you next time. Bye-bye.